Let's pray. Father God, as we come to look at your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to what you've got to say, Lord. We pray that you would empty our minds and hearts of everything else for the next few minutes as we think about what your word says, Lord. And I pray that everything I say will glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. The picture on the screen is of William Wilberforce. Back in the late 1700s, William was a young, popular member of Parliament. can't say that very often. He became a Christian, and he thought about leaving uh, politics to study theology. However, he is persuaded by his friends. He included the soon-to-be Prime Minister, William Pitt, and his former mentor, John Newton, that he would be more effective in doing God's work, fighting for the freedom of the slaves by abolishing the slave trade. After a long 20-year campaign where he suffered from illness and opposition in Parliament, trying to get this abortion, abortion, abolition bill through, being defeated a number of times, he carries on the fight for freedom and he is eventually responsible for the bill being passed in 1807, which abolishes the slave trade in the British Empire forever. Wilberforce fought for the freedom worth fighting for, the freedom of slaves and the end of the slave trade. He fought with all his might and with his faith in God for something he believed in. Jane Bellingham tells me there's a good book about Wilberforce in the church library. I've checked and it is there and it's worth a read. For us, for you and I as we live today, freedom can be a hard word to define. I read this description of what freedom means today to people on the internet. Here's what it said. Freedom is being able to do what you want to do and think and say whatever you want. I can see that's how society thinks, but I don't think that's a great way to describe freedom, though, because if people all just did what they wanted to do, there would quickly be anarchy and chaos. The reality in society is none of us are able to do exactly what we want. All countries have laws to protect people from those who want to abuse and exploit others' freedom. A better way for us to put freedom, what freedom means, might be free to flourish, being free to reach the potential of the life we are meant to live. As Christians, as people who believe in God, he has given us the Bible to live by. And we believe this freedom can only happen when we live how God wants us to live. When we come to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are set free. We are set free to know God, to follow him through Christ's example, and to serve him. Then we have found true freedom. And Paul tells the Galatians in this passage that that is a freedom worth fighting for. This morning, as we look at this passage for a few minutes, we're going to look at what finding that freedom in Christ means for you and I as we live our lives today. In verse 1, Paul tells us that Christ has set us free. This verse is a kind of bridge verse in this letter. It looks back to earlier parts of the letter, to the Galatians where Paul has been setting out the true, authentic gospel. What it is and what it means. And then in this chapter and the next chapter, looking at what the gospel means in everyday life. That follows the usual pattern of Paul's letters. Theology first, who is God 
and what has he done for us through Jesus Christ. And then once we understand that, how are we to live in light of that knowledge? This verse looks back to the earlier chapters where we hear that Christ has set us free, that he gave himself for our sins to set us free from evil, to set us free from our own sinful nature and the world we live in. Way back in chapter 1, right at the start of the letter, verses 3 and 4, Paul says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. The Lord Jesus Christ has freed us from slavery, freed you and I from slavery, that slavery of trying to earn God's favour through what we do. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done. For us to be accepted for God and for us to know God, Jesus has done it all. And this is the good news, because if you and I did have to earn God's favour, if we were only accepted by God because of what we did, none of us would be able to be good enough. We would live lives as slaves, endlessly trying to please God. But thankfully, God has done it all for us through sending a son to take our place on the cross. Not only have we been set free from slavery, though, the Lord Jesus Christ has made us children of God, adopted us into God's family, filled us with the Holy Spirit. Because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, we are free to know and enjoy God. And that is amazing news. So verse 1 points us back to what God has done for us, but it also points us forward to what you and I are to do to live in freedom if we know and love the Lord. There are four things in this passage that can help us live in the freedom of knowing and loving God. The first is in verse 1. We are told to stand firm. It's that picture from Paul's other letters that comes to mind of a soldier taking a stand against enemy forces, being prepared to stand against things that will threaten your freedom, freedom that must be protected and guarded. We are to stand firm, not letting ourselves go backwards again, not letting ourselves become slaves again. Verse 1b, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Paul then goes on to explain how we might become slaves again. Paul has talked a lot about circumcision in this letter, but this is the first time he speaks directly to the Galatians about them being circumcised. Up until now, he has talked about the principle, the theology behind circumcision, but now he makes it personal. Verses 2 to 4. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. These are strong warnings because Paul is writing here to people who have accepted the good news. These are people who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are people who have come to see their sin and realize their helplessness and the impossibility of ever being able to please God themselves. They pleased God by doing things for themselves. They had come to Christ empty-handed, desperate and in need of a saviour. But now they're in danger of saying, you know what, I can do this by myself. I can be good enough if I just obey the law. 
I can please God through my own efforts. And that's really the same as saying, Jesus Christ is not everything to me anymore. It's like saying, I still have faith in Jesus, but I'm trying to please God by myself. I don't need Jesus for everything anymore. And this is something I, and I'm sure a lot of us have seen happen to us from time to time. And once we start thinking like that, about that Jesus is not our everything, and we can do it on our own, we are in danger of being cut off from him and slipping back to our old ways, slipping back into slavery. There's no middle ground here on Paul's thinking. Once you and I start to think that our efforts can somehow earn God's favor, we are moving aside from grace. Paul says in verse 4, you have fallen away from grace. Once you and I start thinking that what we do makes God love us more, then we start to move away from knowing the worth of what Jesus did for us on the cross. God cannot love his people more than he already does. God loves the way he does because by faith we are hidden in Christ. Paul tells us this in chapter 3 in another of his letters that he sent to the Colossians. He says, if we are hidden in Christ, God sees Christ's goodness when he looks at us. God has made you his son, his daughter. He has lavished love on you all because of what Jesus has done on the cross. It has nothing to do with how good we are. But there is a temptation in all of us to think we can do this by ourselves. It comes to us so naturally. When our daughter Evie was three or four, her favourite words for a while were, I'll do it, or as she put it, I'll do it. And it didn't matter what Laura or I were talking about. She thought she could do it. She had this streak of independence. No one taught her to say that phrase. No one put any expectation on her. It just came naturally. And that streak of independence is in us all. It's something that stays in each of us and grows with us as becoming adults. It's part of human DNA, part of the pride that is within us. We can all start to think, I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I'm clever enough. I can do this by myself. But when it comes to knowing God, trusting in God, living for God, we can't do it by ourselves. We're not strong enough. We're not good enough. So we need to stand firm against this natural proud thinking in our hearts. And when you or I see this attitude in ourselves, we need to think about how our Saviour Jesus Christ is all we lead in life. To think that we can do it by ourselves is to slip back towards slavery again. Second thing we can see from the passage is that we are to eagerly await Christ's return, verse 5. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. A person who has faith in Jesus Christ for everything will also have Jesus Christ as their hope. And it is Jesus that we wait for. The righteousness Paul talks about here is probably referring to God's declaration on Judgment Day. That we are in the right because we have put ourselves, put our faith in Jesus instead of ourselves. Now Paul is not saying we aren't right in God's eyes now because we have put our faith in Jesus. What he is saying is that when Christ returns, God will proclaim to the whole world that those who put their trust in Jesus Christ are in the right and are his people. Paul is looking into the future to a time when our struggle and fight and suffering in this world are over. 
if that day is our hope, the day when we see Jesus face to face and hear the Father's pronouncement of righteousness on us, if that is our hope, then things like circumcision or uncircumcision are of no value. In our terms today, all those wee differences of opinion we have with each other over how things should go in the church don't matter. If our hope is in Christ's return, if that is where our focus is, we shouldn't get bothered by all the little details. When our hope and focus is in Christ's return, then that will change how we live. When we grow in love for those around us, for the people who are also hoping for Christ's return, Paul says in verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Christmas can be a hard time for children and for parents. Children are bombarded with toys and adverts for toys on TV, the internet, the Argos catalogue, the Smiths catalogue. And the children's Christmas list can change day to day what they would like to get from Santa. And there's so much choice that a lot of children can hardly decide what to ask for at all, or on the other hand, to ask for everything. But every so often, a child can be fixated by one thing and that is all they want. Nothing else will do. I remember when I was around 10 or 11, I was in this situation. All I wanted from Santa was this ZX Spectrum computer. I was looking forward to it so much, it was all I thought about. And on Christmas Day came, I was up at 3 a.m., couldn't sleep any longer, down in the living room. And if our kids tried that, Laura would have them in bed quicker than before the feet would hit the floor. It was the one thing I wanted and nothing could have shaken my desire for it. It was an early, a cheap computer, didn't do very much, but I just couldn't wait to get it. As believers in God, when we long for Jesus Christ more than anything else, the attractions and distractions of this world will seem as nothing. Do you, do I, yearn for that return of Jesus Christ more than anything else? Are we eagerly awaiting the day the Lord will come back does that waiting for Jesus to return affect how you and I live in this world and how we see the people in this church family around us this morning? Does eagerly awaiting on Christ's return enable you and I to live in the freedom he has given us? Third thing we can see from this passage is that we are to run the race. Verse 7, you were running a good race, Paul tells him. Who cut it on you? to stop you from obeying the truth. Some of you may remember this man, this is the rugby player Jonah Lumu. He passed away in November 2015 at the age of 40 from a rare kidney disease. But back when he was just 19, he burst into the New Zealand rugby team in a big way. At that time, he became the youngest player to play for the All Blacks. His attacking style of play and his amazing strength made him one of the hardest rugby players ever to stop when he was running with the ball. His size, his strength, his speed, his sheer determination made him hard to tackle. And there are many rugby fans who love to watch this unrelenting style of play. As we live in the freedom of the Christian life, we need to live our lives a bit like how Jonah Lomu played rugby. In our lives, there will be many things that try to knock us down, try to knock us off course, as we live for Christ and the freedom he has given us. Anything else that we are tempted to follow and trust in should be less than our love for Jesus Christ. We are to make sure we run through, we run over 
all these other things that can help us, of course, to ensure we don't put them ahead of Jesus Christ. Paul described in verses 8 and 9 the kind of things that might take us away from running the race. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works, the whole, works through the whole batch of dough. Yeast is often used in the Bible as a picture of sin. It's used as a picture of things that displease God, that lead us away from God. A little bit of sin getting in is enough to infect the whole Christian. Verses 10 and 11, Paul says, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. In these verses, Paul is telling us that the people who knock us off course will be judged by God. They will pay a penalty for what they do. Paul says that avoiding putting other things higher than God in our lives may be hard and it may result in persecution. But Paul tells us that is to be expected as the cross is offensive to those who don't believe in it. As we live today, what might be the things and people that God is worrying us about? Well, it's simply anyone or anything that makes us believe Jesus Christ is not enough. The mistakes we can make are exactly the same as the ones the Galatians were in danger of making here. To think that Christ's death is not enough for us to be free to know God. There's so much around us today, even here in Northern Ireland, especially for the last two or three years, putting pressure on us all to believe that we, do, we need to do more than put our trust in Jesus Christ. We are constantly pressured by the media and social media about the need to add things on or stop believing things that are in the Bible in order to make us followers of Christ and make us acceptable to those in the world around us. We need to make sure we are not knocked off course. We need to make sure we do not send out the message that Jesus Christ is not enough. We need to be sure we do not put our feelings and the world's feelings ahead of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're thinking that image of John Alumi running through and over people in a rugby match is too violent. It's just a, not, a gentle enough uh, picture as we think about these things. But look at verse 12. Paul says that he wished that those who were encouraging circumcision would actually castrate themselves. How seriously do we take the things that threaten to knock us off course? Do we run through them with determination? Or do we perhaps allow ourselves to be distracted and go happily along with things we know are wrong? You and I, as believers who know and love the Lord Jesus, need to keep our eyes fixed firmly on him and we need to keep running the race. We need to keep the faith that Jesus Christ is everything we need for all of life. Fourthly and briefly, we need to keep our freedom by serving God. Verse 16, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not let your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. We keep our freedom in Christ by looking to others' needs and putting them before our own. This is, after all, exactly what Christ did when setting us free. He looked to our needs and he came to rescue us. 
when we were under God's death sentence, when we were desperate and without hope, Jesus came to give us freedom, righteousness, and hope. And here is a wonderful and beautiful irony of this in verses 14 and 15. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. When we try to please God through our own efforts, we end up turning in on ourselves and we become so self-focused that we end up biting and devouring each other. But when we live in the freedom that Christ has given us, we are able to serve God and each other in love. And Paul tells us here that is to fulfill the law. Let me repeat that. The Galatians were trying to fulfill the law with their own efforts, but when we try to please God through our own efforts, we end up destroying ourselves and each other. When we live in God's freedom, we fulfill the law, which is to live the way God wants us to live. So let us live in that freedom that Christ has given us. Let us stand firm, resisting the temptation that we can do it all ourselves. Let us eagerly await for Christ's return, looking to him and hoping in him and longing for him. Let's keep running the race, avoiding the things that would knock us off course, trusting no one and nothing more than Jesus Christ. Let us serve God and each other in love. That's how we are to live with the freedom given to us by Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you've given us your word and these words to the church in Galatians apply to us equally today, Lord. I thank you for the overarching time of your word, Lord, that it never fails and never lets us down, Lord. And Lord, if any of us are not living in Christ, Lord, I pray, it be my prayer today, we would come to know you, Lord. And I pray for those of us who know and love you that we, be, we would be sure to put you first in our lives. Nothing or no one would knock us off course. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close our hymn with uh, Cornerstone, my life. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name.